Faith, the final frontier. These are the parables of the Starship Enterprise, Sacred Trek's continuing mission to seek out understanding of ourselves and one another, boldly takes us to Star Trek, The Next Generation, Season 1, Episode 4, The Last Outpost. Hello and welcome to Sacred Trek, the podcast that engages in community around the parables of Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your host, Kent Altman, and here's Christina Hartfield, our executive producer. Hi, Christina. Hi, Kent. How's it going? It's good today. How are you? Yeah, great. Just great. (laughs) Great's good. We like great. Yes. (laughs) Let's introduce the rest of our council today. Let's do it. Here they are. We have Carissa. Hi, Carissa. Hi, good to be here. And we have Mark. Say hi, Mark. Hello, happy to be here. And Becky. Hey. And we've got Nisa. Hey, I'm here. (laughs) And Nicole. Hey, let's do this. (laughs) And uh, today we're discussing the fourth Mm -hmm. parable in our journey, the last outpost. And I would like to... uh, posit a parable for you all today. Uh, Very good. The explorer Picard and his protege Riker must pursue the Ferengi and recover the technology stolen from a Federation outpost. But a demigod appears, the guardian of the Takan, and traps both ships. And as if in a fingerlock puzzle, the only way to resolve the situation is to work together. Picard and Riker must overcome their militaristic training to shoot first and instead lean into the explorer's instinct to listen and to question in order to save both ships and all the lives on them. Well said. Thanks. What do you think? I do agree with Kent that it was, to me, the whole episode was about the metaphor of the finger puzzle. Yeah, right. Just the whole idea that, you know, cooperation is required in order to get out of a problem. One of the things that I have a challenge with is that there are always people on the bridge who say, you know, let's fire those phasers immediately. And so far, Picard always says, no, let's wait and see what happens else first. You know, I mean, he's never the one to fire first. He's always the one to ask the questions first mm-hmm. or to see if there's another solution. He seems to never take the militaristic choice, um, at least not so far. Uh, I think it's interesting, too, because they pointed out that they don't know anything about the Ferengi, or they know very little. What they do know is that they are... Capitalists. Capitalists, super capitalists, you know, about the deal and about, uh, and the buyer beware, caveat emptor. And that's an interesting problem because right away it sets up a certain kind of challenge in trust. You know, how do you trust someone if their entire, if the one thing you know about them is that they're not trustworthy. <laughs> right. And has an awful lot to do with what's going on in 2020 as well. Absolutely. Woo, 2020. <laughs> um, one of the things that stuck out to me was the 
constant Sun Tzu references, the use of the art of war, the, the he who will triumph, who knows when to fight and when not to fight. That was a line that was repeated multiple times. So I think that that ties in. Another thing that stuck out to me was the line where he asked, well, should I destroy them when Portal asks, should I destroy them? And Riker responds with, well, then they will learn nothing. Absolutely. Um, so that was another thing um, that stuck out is about graciousness and um, being willing to listen to other people and base your strategy around that. Because in the art of war, there's a lot of how war isn't just, um, you know, you go in and you fight and you go in head first and that's it. And even though war is, you know, pretty violent and things, but you can look at it as a way to live your life on a daily basis. You know, you're not fighting everybody that you're encountering, but you are interacting in some type of way that requires you to use your brain as if you're playing a game of chess. And so the most effective way to do it is to have that back and forth and be flexible. Violence isn't necessarily always physical violence. That's true. And yeah. so, yeah. If Starfleet Academy is teaching its officers these strategies and these uh, techniques for uh, engaging with other people, they're saying this is an ideal, right? Is it an ideal that we agree with? Should we be teaching people the art of war? If we don't agree with it? Yeah. I think, so in theory, we should know all the things so we're wiser, so we know where, what angle everyone's coming from but in practice i mean who's to say there's not someone that's like really like into it and that's gonna like kind of get into someone on the fleet that wants to to use that material f for not the art of good yeah i think that the messenger is key with sharing a philosophy because I think you can always be wise. I mean, they're going to be wiser because they knew of that. That's what this whole episode was able to work is because they were able to hold this idea up here and then go around it and not go into war, but try to find other ways to be. Right. Um, had they not learned that, maybe that wouldn't have worked out exactly the same way. I think that information is always powerful even if we don't agree with it. And I think anytime we see a society withholding information, um, and not engaging in that way, I think it's dangerous because then people either come up with their own ideas about what that is, yeah. or they repeat the idea and do it themselves that the society doesn't want them to teach. So I think that the Starfleet Academy teaching this idea of war is powerful because a lot of the people they're engaging with know that. And anytime I just, I'm such a believer in information is powerful and that we should engage with it, even if we don't agree with it. Yeah. I also think that like Nisa was saying, you really have to be conversant with Sun Tzu's work to understand that though it was about, you know, the, the art of war is, is written about the practice of strategy and the practice of, you know, making war at a time when that was something that was keeping the, people of his nation alive. Mm -hmm. The book has been used and the philosophy has been used over the centuries much since then as a practical method of strategy of life, not just as a tool of war, much the same way as a strate strategy game like chess is used to hone the mind and not just as a method of figuring out the best way to destroy your enemy. Yeah. Sun Tzu's work, they teach it today, you know, at uh, right. many different places, uh, not just as philosophy, but as a as a way of living, as a as a thought process and a method of 
of making decisions. I studied it in my peace studies and conflict resolution class. Mm. It's definitely seen as a toolkit that, in fact, I, I really, I, obviously the, the name of it is the art of war, but it is so much more. It's, it definitely has transcended that kind of initial intent. Well, and like Nicole said too, it does become pivotal to the story because at the end, Riker is able to like put the pieces together because he knows it, right? And so it is a moment where that knowledge has paid off and has become something that helps him save not only himself, but his away team too, and his ship and the Ferengi ship. You know, so he he's responsible for saving a lot of life with it. Um, and so I want to sort of turn a little bit into the decision making process of that. How we got there is really interesting. And we see this sort of multi pronged thing happen as it occurs. You know, they go into this conference and we get Tasha saying, destroy them all, mm-hmm. fire all the weapons. Worf agrees with that. He says, hit them hard and fast. And then Picard says that's impractical and provocative. Mm -hmm. Do we see Picard as someone who has evolved past any, um, are we worried that Picard is going to make the wrong decision here? Um, There was just such a level of calmness and confidence and just conviction in this decision Mm. that I felt just watching it like, yeah, do whatever he says. Um, (laughs) And so it was like, just go with me on this journey. There's something that I know that you don't know, but I can't just tell you, you have to learn it for yourself. So I think that's, that was why I was like, oh yeah, no, they're going to be fine. So, so, Good. Then um, Troy comes in with her answer that the Ferengi are justified because they've been following them and that's creepy and, you know, whatever. Don't be a creeper. But um, <laughs> Amen to that. She, <laughs> amen. She says, but did we tell them anything they wanted to hear? And so Carissa, mm-hmm. talk about Counselor Troy in this moment. She's giving really good advice. She is, I think, because she realizes that it's a... Uh you can't expect something without giving something. There's that trade mm-hmm. of information. And so I think she's understanding that human nature that in any of our desires, whether it's peace or conquering or commerce, there has to be a give and take. And so she's just, we, we're acting like we have all the cards and we need to be willing to give at least part of, the, part of our cards or show them to the Ferengi. So I, I like that hers is the last statement that's said, and then they leave. It's so like hers is <laughs> yeah. the last opinion that stated like, there, there it is. And then she walked away. So I thought there was a lot of wisdom in what she said. Yeah. I think it's also important to mention that she's the first one that said, have we bothered to check out what's going on on the planet? Yes. Again. Yes, they could yep. do it without her. I'm like, you know, Deanna Troy, why does, why does just, everybody should just turn to her right away and go, so what should we do? Because Why don't they do that? True. That's my girl. Yeah. <laughs> Picard should just ask data for the facts and then ask Counselor Troy what to do and then make a decision. And we should end the show's over. <laughs> it takes a woman, right? right. Oh, yeah. So we get two moments of it takes a woman in this episode. Counselor Troy and Tasha Yar with showing up with the away team and she's got a phaser and she puts the Frankie aside. So That's right. Yeah, man, she's she is there. She is armed. She is not taking any crap, right? Um, and in the face of their prejudice and 
really denigrating her as a woman, you know, I mean, basically saying, I'm not listening to any woman, whether it's Ferengi or human. <laughs> I'm glad you know what a phaser is because I'm ready to use this on you. Yeah, short one. Yeah. <laughs> so I just think that it's really awesome that in a lot of science fiction, you have your damsel in distress mm -hmm. moments a lot. And for the first time you have like three out of the, what, five, six men that are on the ship, they're the devils in distress. Yes. And then here comes Tasha, pew, pew. Like <laughs> that was just, <laughs> it was, it was so cool. And then yeah. um, also to see, as it was mentioned earlier, the Ferengi's approach to her, um, I thought it was really interesting. They were like, oh, it's true. You work with your females and you arm them. And then you and force you them to and they wear, wear clothes <laughs> so that someone else can take it off. I was like, what is happening right now? It's like, <laughs> so you don't back up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they also, at the beginning, they said boys mm -hmm. will be boys. And I was yeah. like, hold up. That's exactly what's wrong with everything. Mm -hmm. There's such a free past. But that seemed in the same vein. That's right. Our society has an opinion that boys will be boys. And what that actually means is... They're going to do really stupid stuff, but it's because they're boys yes. and they're learning. Yes. And I think that's gotten us to an incredibly ridiculous place with boys also Dangerous not being, place. right, with them not being held accountable and, yes. or sometimes getting a free pass. And it's very, probably very confusing yes. also to them. So that same strand was played out as gross alien beings, because that goes further once the boys are just be boys when they're little boys, you know, it grows and grows as they get to be bigger boys. And it's not cool. So let me ask this question. Parents in the room, yep. what do we do? Oh, man. We don't continue to perpetuate stereotypes. <laughs> That's one. A good one. Two, we don't, we don't gender specify things for our children. And we teach them all to live with integrity. And we hold them all to the same standard. Or it's not a standard we hold them to. Mm -hmm. As a parent of three boys and one girl, I, we talk about this a lot. My boys want to wear pink and play Barbies and dress up and dance. They do it. My daughter wants to climb trees and use a pocket knife. She does it. They do whatever the heck they want to do right. because they are allowed because they're humans. And so they're allowed to do it. The other thing is anytime that people around me talk about stereotypes and boys will be boys or girls will do this, we shut that stuff down nice. because I don't want our children growing up thinking that boys are allowed free passes, that girls are in need of rescuing. We do not perpetuate those stereotypes in the barber household. I am very passionate about this. I think as a female who grew up in the Christian culture, who was told that I was not allowed to do certain things and that I needed to be married and needed a man. I mean, obviously I love my husband dearly, but that I was told I needed those things in order to accomplish things as a woman. And so as a continuing practicing Christian, there is no way I will ever teach my children that. And on staff at a church, I'm very passionate about gender roles within the church. I will get off my soapbox now, but I talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> Thank yes. you. Love it. Yes, yes, yes. For me, the boys thing is especially dangerous for me because my son is biracial. Yes, he is half white, but he is also half black. And there are certain things that, that are attached to that. There are certain like stipulations and things, unfortunately, in the society with where we are right now that, I mean, even if you wanted to follow the boys will be boys thing, 
it doesn't it's not the same for white boys as it is for black boys or hispanic boys or you know right. um so you true. know white boys can go around and tp people's houses they can white boys can go to a to a 7-eleven and buy a pack of skittles and an arizona tea and walk in front of a house and not get shot yep black boys can't two of my sons are black oh and so we talk about this a lot in our house we talk about that my white son who's my oldest will get away with stuff that my black sons will not and so we talk about that too, right. just like you said, white boys can do stuff, brown and black boys do not get to. It's yeah. wrong, but it's, real. It is wrong, but real. And, 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 and I think it's dangerous. And one of the things that I found that was interesting about this episode is that Riker is the one who delivered the boys will be boys life. And yet Riker is at the end, the one who learns about how you have to change, you have to evolve and you have to learn and you have to understand that other people are learning too. Right. So I and I wonder now, um, because Tasha was the one that kind of like saved their hides, how that's going to impact him going forward, because as we've talked about when we talked about the first episode, um, that Riker sort of seems to be the embodiment of toxic masculinity. And that it's really interesting that he's the one that delivered the boys will be boys. And then... <laughs> Now there seems to be a, a start of a 180. There's not the full 180. There's maybe like a, there's like a 25, but you can see it starting to happen. So I think that that's really interesting. I want to point at one thing. The, the two boys in that scene, one of those boys is a black boy. So the 24th century has progressed. Woo. Yeah, they can both be given the same. <laughs> they can both have a free pass. They both have privilege. <laughs> I just wonder why they put it in there. Because if you think about it, they opened a door. It was a strange moment. two little boys messing around. They say that line, and then they shut the door. So why was it even there? I yeah. have a theory about this. This is the first time that we're reminded there are families aboard the ship that might die in this instance. And Picard has to be measured and reasoned to protect the families. Mm -hmm. We this is this is the first time that we see that this is a family ship. And so this is something that I want to talk about as we pivot here. We about halfway through the episode, the force field that's holding the ship is draining the power and we have to make a choice between shields and life support. And so Picard says life support uh -huh. and they push all of the life support into the family decks, which proves that this is not a military vessel, right? And so the question that we've been asked at the beginning, is it too militaristic? We now know Picard is definitely on the side of the families, right? right. He's going to do whatever he can to save these people. And so one thing that I want to sort of shift into with saving lives, there's this, um, there's this great line that he has that is uh, in response to the Ferengi, what profit is there in us working together? And Picard's response is the profit of saving all our lives. Picard is thinking about all their lives, right? right? And so I think that this is a really good moment to pull this into our world and say, mask up. <laughs> <laughs> not that hard, bro. It's not. Yes. You got to think of the whole community. The Please whole put your mask on. Thank you. And I think that that also speaks to like humanity's nature as a whole, that some people cannot conceptualize thinking about others until they first put it to somebody that they're related to. Like mm -hmm. they don't go, 
oh, this stranger that I don't know could possibly get it and get sick. They go, well, my grandmother can get it and get sick. And now suddenly they want to wear a mask. Yes. Or, well, I'm healthy, so it won't affect me. And I'm single and I live by myself. So if I want to get it and get sick, that's my prerogative, which I mean, to an extent, they are right. But at the same time, like, it's wrong. Um, so... And I mean, I, I've, I've not with this situation in particular, but with other situations, I've had moments where I thought selfishly and was like, well, this isn't really going to hurt me. So I don't care. You know, I sh- I'm going to shop at Walmart. It, it doesn't bother me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it's interesting to see such selflessness. And it's not even like Picard is thinking about, well, these, my people are going to die. It's these people that you know are our adversaries pretty yeah. much and they're gonna die so i'm gonna do something to save them and i bringing it back to like right now i don't know how many people would be like willing to put themselves out there or willing to do whatever it takes to save somebody that they don't like yeah you know you so people joke about it man i hope so and so gets COVID, or i hope so something and something happens to these yeah. people what's happened to us that's that's, that's kind of messed up <laughs> that's, that's messed very up. messed up <laughs> i was just thinking um on facebook these days i chose to keep all of the um extreme opinions open on my facebook mm-hmm. so as left as you can get and as right as you can get. That's all in my news feed. And so what's fascinating right now is both sides really feel like the other ones are the Ferengi, yeah. right? And, and hardcore and everybody's afraid. Mm. And so when I was watching this, um, all I could think about was how when Picard just literally at the beginning, he was like, okay, we've got to figure out how to all do this together. And I don't know what's about to happen, but I can tell you, that that seems very far away. So here's the hard questions. Where do we look inside ourselves to see if we truly are somehow that somewhere in there? And then how do we learn to work with the other side that we feel so deeply is that? And um, yeah, but how can we be a bridge? I don't know. But that's why Picard, like, I really like that he was like, like at the beginning when he was like, hey, we got to figure this all out together because um, it's just a crazy time. Mm-hmm. How do you bridge to somebody if you don't know where, well, where does morality come from, first of all, and who has the moral authority in the moment, and how do you decide which direction the bridge is supposed to go? I think that in order to find a moral common ground or who has the moral authority in a situation, you have to start with the humanity. You have to start with the common ground of you are both humans, you both have the basic needs of food, security, safety, love, community. And once you have those and you know what the other person, oh, hey, look, this is our common ground. We're both parents or, hey, we both are homeowners or, hey, we both shop at Publix, whatever your humanity is that you can share together and then go from there and find a bridge Mm. to a moral place. But I think that what happens a lot of times is we say, I'm right morally, you're wrong morally, and we're not even gonna talk about our humanity. But if we can't come together as humans who have the same basic rights and we wouldn't be able and have the privilege to talk about our morality if our basic human rights weren't being met, like many people around the world whose basic needs are not being met. So, 
you you can't they're not talking about the stuff that we are engaged with in america and our privilege and we can whatever so i think that some of us, some of us yeah. so i think that we have to start there and that that can be that bridging you know place of talking about what is and isn't right and who has that authority well said yeah um and another thing that like to to piggyback onto that um is that we all have to kind of do what Riker was doing when the Ferengi were like trying to do a switcheroo and be like, well, they've done this and they've done that. He was like, yeah, we did. And we've done a lot worse too. Data, go ahead, go ahead and lay it all out on the line. Um, you have to admit your flaws. Like you have to get off of your moral high horse, if you will. Um, and not, yep. not self-deprecate, you know, don't go and call yourself a piece of crap or something like that because of all the mistakes that you've made. Be open and honest about those mistakes. Hmm. Because one of the things, like I know for me, one of my like pet peeves is people with a superiority complex. Mm -hmm. If you have like a holier than thou attitude, I shut down because I'm not going to get through to you because you think you're on a higher level than me. And I know what that does to me and my ego. Now I have to top you and we're not going to get anywhere. Like now I've got to be, now I got to right. one up you. I got to, I got to knock you off your high horse. So now I'm bringing myself to a lower level to try to bring you to a lower level and it's not working for anybody. So you both have to just like, be honest and be like, look, we are humans and we do some effed up <laughs> things, man. We've done some effed up things in our lives. What? You did that too? You ditched high school? Oh my God, I ditched in <laughs> high school. Oh, find some common ground, even with the messed up things that you did. Because that's like where the humanity truly lies. It's not in all of your good accomplishments. It's it's when you're dirty, when you're at your lowest and you're dirtiest, like that's it. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. And we see it both ways in this episode, right? We get the Ferengi saying um, to each other, making a plan when the Starfleet people are unconscious, going, okay, we're going to tell our our boss that mm -hmm. uh, they attacked mm -hmm. us, right? Everybody's on the same page, and we're going to just forget this whole thing ever happened. But we see the Starfleet people say, like you were just saying, they're right and we're awful. And these are more ways that we're awful, you know? And so this leads me to the next bit of conversation here that let's talk about the other people in this conversation. The Ferengi in that scene are doing something that we have a term for right now in our society and it is called fake news. <laughs> they're standing there and they are saying lie after lie after lie so how do we combat fake news you know and riker's position was to just hold the line and to say this is how it went um and really almost it was really interesting to see him talking to the portal in that scene because the ferengi are all hyped up and running around and trying to get their position in and trying to to spread this fake news and Riker is chill, like he knows mm. this is the reality and he is going to deal with this person kind of from a position of, again, honesty, self-honesty, as well as, you know, trying to honestly assess the situation, see what's going on. I mean, I really appreciated that um, position of his or this the statement of his, which again, goes back to Sun Tzu, which is, you have to know yourself and your opponent, for want of a better term, or know the other the other person 
to uh, be able to make any progress to get anything done. I think that's great, Becky, because that's truth will find its way. It might not be now. So yeah. fake news will have a high moment of glory, but truth will come out. It, it will eventually find its way. Well, and I guess, too, there's something to be said for kind of Riker not getting all worked up. You know, the Ferengi are there with all their, you know, all their, they're all uh, revved up and, oh, no, this happened and this happened and here's this. And, and Riker is just resolute. I don't know. I mean, I get revved up when I hear the fake news and really want to scream and shout and, you know, insist that, no, that's not right. Right. But yeah, I mean, adding to the, 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 the screaming that's going on doesn't accomplish anything. Uh, one of the reasons that you want to scream is the difference between a 42-minute television episode and real life yeah. in yeah. that it's going to be wrapped up by the end of the 42 minutes. And, you know, in our world, there are some things that we've got to fix because we're on a clock. Yeah. Within the next couple of decades, if we don't do something about climate change, we could be done. And our and, lives are at and, Well, or at least right. the lives of our children and their children there are other things too, like the future of democracy on the planet. Right. Well, even COVID. Even the survival of humans of, from disease. You're right, Kent. I mean, and it's likely to happen again. You've got to figure out how to deal with it and get everybody to accept when the scientists say, hey, it's time to mask up and stay home so that people don't die in your country. Sure. When I was watching this episode and, the, you know, the scene starts with, oh, no, Portal, that's not true. That's not true. That's, the, you don't know the history. Time has passed. Data, tell him the history. And for me, I'm sitting there and I got a little gaslit for the Portal. <laughs> and so, Mark, I feel like maybe part of the response with the fake news thing is that some people feel gaslit by the very fact that there's a problem to begin with. What do you think? Gaslit by which problem? Any of them? <laughs> Any of them. Take your pick. Now, I, I can't disagree with that. I mean, I've been trying to pay attention because ultimately, like what Becky said, yeah. reiterating what Sun Tzu said, yeah. is you have to understand your opponent if you're going to have any hope of making any kind of a connection. And I've been trying to pay attention. You got to really work hard. And I, you know, I... Part of my job, you know, all of us that do theater and, and, and acting, you know, empathy, trying to put yourself in another person's shoes is part of our job. And this is hard to do. What, to put um, yourself in their shoes? Put yourself in their shoes to try to figure out what it is that they're seeing that is making them so adamant. And to me, this is all about, you know, it's going to require cooperation. We're going to have to be able to get out of this finger puzzle yeah. in order to figure out how to yeah. do that. But in order to do that, we have to trust one another. And in order to trust one another, we have to believe that we're being honest and truthful. I know. Um, so empathy has been a survival tactic for me. Um, and one of the things that I had to learn just even as a young girl growing up. So I... I'm from Palmdale, California, which if you're not familiar with, um, it's a rural town. Well, it used to be rural, now it's expanding, um, but it is 60 miles north of Los Angeles. And this town has a lot of military families because Edwards Air Force Base is not too far from there. There's a lot of farmers. Um, there's, and it's a severely Republican 
Town. And it's right next to Lancaster, California, which has the affectionate nickname of Clancaster. So, um, so, I mean, I went to high school where people drew swastikas on the walls. Mm. And I've been called the N-word more times than you can imagine. And um, I've even been the victim of police brutality mm-hmm. out there um, when I was 18 years old. So um, I could have been a hashtag. Thank God I wasn't. But um, one of the things that I had to learn rather quickly is to not be afraid of people. And that was something that Riker said, um, too, is that fear is the true enemy. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that helped me get over that fear was learning to subtract the idea that these people are bad first and understand that they are just people they just think differently than me and i had to do that because i was like what do i want from these people i don't want them to look at me as bad so let me do what they should do let me make that first effort and let me remove the whole bad thing out of the equation and that is so unbelievably hard but it is so so necessary and you also have to be careful with that and not, you know, start drinking the Kool-Aid either. And mm. then going, oh, well, they're not bad. Actually, they're right. Actually, you know, and then start agreeing with everything that they're saying, too, because you will lose yourself. And yeah. also, I'm speaking from experience on that because there was a period of time where I was that token black friend. I was that token black girl. I was like... Yeah, I speak really well and I have a high GPA and I'm not like other black girls. I had that face. And that was almost more detrimental than anything else. So you have to be unafraid and you have to remove the idea that people are inherently bad or they're bad because they don't agree with you. But you also have to be, you have to stand strong and you have to be convicted and what you believe in and it takes a lot of work and it's scary and it's hard and i mean i'm 30 years old and i still slip i still have moments where you know i regress but you have to still do it i applaud your strength in finding that middle ground and figuring out how to do that yeah well and willingness to trust i mean going back to that whole principle of having to trust people even when they've proven themselves untrustworthy, right? So going back to this story, Riker is faced with this question from the portal, should I just go ahead and destroy them? And he says, well, what what will they learn? And the portal says something to the extent of, well, yeah, but they can take you out. And Riker's position is, you know what? Yeah, we're going to have to take that chance. Yeah, that calls for incredible trust. And for you to not only recognize, but be willing to extend that trust to people who have shown themselves to be untrustworthy. And who have actually hurt you. Yeah. It's one thing to say that it's just something that they believe they're not bad people. If you, they haven't hurt you, but if they've actually hurt you, then that takes an incredible amount of strength. Good on you. Yeah. You know, I actually kind of know what needs to happen in order to solve some of this. If you know, but but I'm not sure. But I can't do it. You know, it's like. But you're a white male. You should be able to do it. Come on. Yeah, come on. Uh, man. Well, I guess. 
Well, I mean, and honestly, you you are right about the fact that people that look like me probably do have to do it, at least at this moment in history. The point is that the only way to keep this all from happening again is to follow through and to fix the problems that exist. But can we acknowledge that neither political party is what's going to change our country, but it's us as individuals being willing to reach across the aisle and look at one another and say, hey, I respect you as a person, and so I'm willing to listen to you as a person. Can I get an amen? (laughs) I absolutely agree with you, but they're going to have to do that within the confines of the system as it currently exists, because it's what we got. But I feel like you can. I I think the Black Lives Matter movement this summer is a testimony to people stopping and saying, I'm willing to listen for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, yes, we have to work and we want the system that we function within to change, but it's also us. I mean, it was Riker taking that change and making one step towards, I'm going to not, I'm going to listen. I'm going to be present and do intuitively what I know I should do instead of be a part of the system of we're going to bomb and destroy and be suspicious. Good. Yes. And Troy check in on the planet. Like that's the exact same thing that you just said, but like, and like what Nisa just said, um, it's got to be across party lines that we Uh can try to reach out and see what in the world is going on in the head of someone that you can't fathom how their political stance is so obviously to you immoral or not possible that they, you know, how are they seeing the world the way they're seeing it? And I think Mm -hmm. that if we could possibly try to reach over and just get a glimpse of what's happening to them. And I think it's just a lot of fear on both sides. But if we could figure out how to see each other and listen, because I think, Mark, you were exactly right with like, that's the big picture. This bickering that we are just immersed in, we've got to figure out how to live together again. You know, I'm hearing what you're saying. So the bickering and we have to, but what I struggle with is it's it's not just bickering, right? It's like this faction, these people want to diminish take away the rights of these people i mean there's a very clear it's not just bickering right it goes so much further yeah and so how do you when someone is not acknowledging your humanity how do you well but again maybe this i mean i don't know nisa it sounds like you figured it out somehow Uh these people who are not acknowledging your humanity and who are using slurs against you. We don't see the Ferengi figure it out in this episode. No, they don't. Because they think that they're other the whole time. It's true. But Nisa, you were- But that's part of what I had to realize um, is that other people might not see my humanity, but I have to see it for myself. Sure. I have to see it for myself first. And once I do that, then nothing else matters. Okay. Um, I, I'm of the belief that like, like we're all in this together and we're all a part of like the same collective consciousness, but my journey is supposed to be different than everyone else's. Um, and so for me, I have to have the solid belief in God because God has the solid belief in me because we're one. Yeah. So like good. that's, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what Joe Schmo over there thinks about me as a human, because at the end of the day, there's nothing really that important that can be taken away from me because I'm still breathing. Yeah. 
and then even if you snuff out my life, if I live a life that's true to myself and I live a life that's, you know, where I appreciate my humanity, if I validate myself, I don't need validation from anybody else. You can't take something away from me. I, I will figure out a way to get it anyways. I'll figure out a way to get it anyways. I mean, Harriet Tubman found a way to free slaves. She did. She you know sure what I mean? did. Um, so women found a way to vote. <laughs> That's right. It's kind of like you found the art of war in a different way. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Let me take this um, and move us to the Dr. Crusher Picard scene where we talk about young Wesley. We have Dr. Crusher saying, I was tempted to give him a sedative. Picard says, you shouldn't. Dr. Crusher says, I know, but he's my son. I love him. Yeah. Picard says, he has the right to meet death awake. Dr. Crusher says, is that a male perspective? And Picard, walking away, says, rubbish. <laughs> so what do you think, Nisa? I did write that quote down. He has a right to meet death awake. And is that a male perspective? And I just thought that this whole episode was really fraught with like the male versus female and like what it means to be each each role. Mm -hmm. Picard saying rubbish. I was like, did she just call you out and now you're mad about it? Or <laughs> I was like, is that what just happened? I have to ask the question, why is that a male perspective? So for me, one, one thing that I think of with that is like you have the quote unquote male perspective of like men don't cry, mm -hmm. whatever you face death head on, you charge straight first, you know, you don't wuss out. Um, so if you're, if you know, you're going to die, you're going to meet it awake as opposed to like the woman, quote unquote, womanly approach of, well, I want you to be as comfort as, as comfortable as possible. I get told a lot being a mother, like your job as the mother is the nurturer. That's your role as the mother. Keeping in mind that she is his mom. I want my baby to be as comfortable as possible knowing that he's mm -hmm. gonna die. But isn't that then Picard is not a parent? And so that's a difference of not a male perspective. Right. But He's not a dad. And so he doesn't know what it's like to love someone more than you could even imagine. And so you right. want the best for them, even if it's to your own detriment. Right. I don't know, though, because I mean, my instinct would be to provide the merciful, the comforting, you know, option, even though I'm not a parent. Right. I would think she's probably trying to spare him from being scared. Oh, yeah, I think so. I want to point us into the sort of more deep spiritual journey. I posited at the beginning of our session today that uh, this character on the planet is a demigod. And so my, my furthering of that is to say that the planet is purgatory and that we're down here in this river sticks kind of place learning from the gods. And so what do you guys think about that? What are we what are we learning down there? Okay, all I can ever think is that the guy on the planet is the guardian of the bridge in the Holy Grail, in Monty Python's <laughs> Holy Grail. And he's gonna ask for three what questions. Is your favorite color. Red, no blue. <laughs> it is that visual image and it is precisely that. He is offering you passage to another realm. And testing you. Yes, and he has a challenge. Because he's on the he's 
he's at the last outpost. Right. Or, I mean, the other thing is that these people are hundreds of thousands of years old, so could they have ascended to some other place of being? And are we actually having a physical encounter with someone who's on an energy plane rather than a physical plane <laughs> in this moment? And also just because we're talking about it, like, what do you do with that as a person? Like, how do you, if you're met with that, how do you deal with that? You pee a little. Um, no. <laughs> lay off the sauce. <laughs> that was, we're done now. That was it. That was good. Yes. That's the answer for a lot of these things. Perfect. Okay. So, okay. So my last question for you here is, why do you guys think that Riker wants to share those finger trap things with the Ferengi at the end? I think it was entirely about bringing back the central metaphor of the no. episode. <laughs> not writing. Let's not talk about writing. Get in the character's head. Why would the okay. character Okay, well, that? then, may because maybe if he sends it to them, they'll learn something about cooperation. Okay. No, I thought it was just to piss him off. Just <laughs> enough <laughs> to not mess with them yeah. Yeah. for a couple of episodes. Well, that terrible. Yeah, that's really probably yeah. what it was. Because ultimately, humans are vengeful. That's uh, what the message was. There. Practical yeah. joke. Agreed. Trixie Hobbitses again. All right. Well, my friends, I think we've come to the time for blessings. Um, who would like to bless first? Mark, go ahead. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about Data. It's hard to ignore when Data's doing something funny, and this episode was all about something to write home about. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, so for me, I was like, dude, that's it. That's my blessing. Um, because, honestly, they had these adventures constantly, and so you would think that there would always be something. But I guess my wish for everybody is that they always have in their life something to write home about. I like it. Blessing from Mark Hartfield. Thank very you very nice. much. That was good. Who's next? I also took my blessing from uh, Data. Great. So I just said, may we always find delight and intrigue in the little things, such as a Chinese finger trap. Oh. <laughs> um, so I took my blessing from Riker, um, where he says, we cannot hate what we once were, um, and that everybody must understand that Others are at different phases in their lives and everybody has something that they can relate to with an adversary. And so my wish is for grace to allow others the opportunity to learn and grow. Perfect. That's beautiful. Yeah. Can I just tack on to that? <laughs> Go. That really does resonate with me. I mean, there's definitely some grace there and Riker could have been a hard ass and just said, yeah, get rid of them for us because then we don't have to deal with them anymore. And his position was, you know what? No, we need to kind of let them learn what they need to learn and recognize that we had to do that too and, and still have to do it, still have stuff to learn. So, yeah. Excellent. Nicole? Mine is for Deanna, Troy, and it's Thank you for checking on the planet and help us to be more like you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love Deanna Troy. I love her. I know. Stina. 
I took my blessing from Picard because he didn't fire first. We all take a breath and not fire first more often. My blessing is for Mr. Jordy LaForge. I love Jordy LaForge. He is so smart. He is so generous. He is so graceful with his knowledge. And the specific thing that I want to bless is that scene in engineering where he says the whole, we push, they pull sequence because he is conveying really technical physics information to someone who doesn't understand it and he could be rude about it he could be pedantic he could be any number of things and he's not and i just feel like i wish i could approach people more like that when i'm trying to explain something they don't understand to them and i think that we could all do it a little better so thank you Jordy laforge very good also another finger puppet reference right push and pull I need to get some of those for my kids. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Edgar will send a box over. Nice. All right, everybody. That's our show. Thank you to our Federation today. Mark, Becky, Carissa, Nicole, and Nisa. Thank you. And thank you, Christina, for going on this sacred trek. And thanks, everybody out there, uh, for listening. We really couldn't do the show without you. Please do rate and review, subscribe, like, and share Sacred Trek. It really does help the show grow and be successful. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Sacred Trek Podcast. If you like what we do here and want to help us keep making the show, head over to www.patreon.com slash lastmidnightproductions and help sustain the show. You can also send us an email or a voice message at sacredtrek at lastmidnightproductions.com or sign up for our newsletter at lastmidnightproductions.com slash sacredtrek. Thank you again for joining us today. We will be back next week with season one, episode five, where no one has gone before. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, wear a mask, and go with love. For Sacred Trek and Last Midnight Productions, I'm Kent Altman. Live long and prosper. Last Midnight Productions.